are here for the first time, we're so thankful that you're uh, decided with what to worship with us today. We are, uh, without a doubt, a community on mission uh, that makes great the name of Jesus. And so we're thankful that you're here with us. Um, Pastor AJ covered uh, verses 1 through 10 two weeks ago in Ephesians chapter 2 in our Gospel Identity Series. Pastor Tanner last week covered verses 11 through 16. Uh, He did a great job showing us how our passage takes us from me to we. How Jesus doesn't just affect us individually, but also corporately. How we're not just nice to each other in the church, tolerating one another, but rather Jesus calls us to take a step further by drawing us towards one another in intimacy, even when hostility and differences are present. And today we're continuing with the same theme of drawing towards one another and really looking at the importance of the local church. If last week was the old life of community, putting away hostility and division, this week is the new life. It's a picture of a, of a redeemed community, seeing really quickly right out of the gate our main idea. Jesus unites us into a new community. That's where we're, that's where we're going today. Uh, the importance of the local church, what it is and what it's not. And before we jump too far into this, I think we can all agree that we as a people, whether we're Christian or not, form bonds and connections with people through various interests and topics and hobbies. You know, as soon as I meet someone uh, from NC State that graduated from NC State, we have an immediate connection point. Sports fans, uh, like sports fans from all different walks of life, we find natural connections uh, through their sports team. There's an immediate bond at some level. And maybe it's not sports, maybe it's uh, kids or, uh, or, or just hobbies or work, whatever it is, I think we can all agree that we as humans find connections point, connection points through common ground. And then the world around us uh, shows us this, just to be generally true, through Facebook pages and dating apps and hashtags and social media algorithms. Um, there's just something inside of us that is drawn towards others that share common interests. <laughs> you know, about 20 years ago, Um, In the summer of 2003, me and some of my friends uh, became obsessed with the movie Pirates of the Caribbean. Everything we did somehow in some way became related to pirates. I mean, we would go go around our city wearing bandanas around our head, eye patches over our eye, uh, dressed like pirates, blaring pirate movies, uh, music everywhere we went, and randomly just breaking out in sword fights with strangers in public places. It was, yes, I know, it was totally ridiculous and absurd, and we did have a lot of fun acting like total fools. Uh, But get this, one of my friends, later that fall, kept it going on his college campus at UNC Chapel Hill, and he created a pirate club that within three months grew to over 300 people on campus. And by the end of that school year, they were one of the largest student clubs on campus. It was just a crazy social movement that, might I add, happened before social media was even a thing. But then the next fall, they just let it die because they really just didn't care anymore. I mean, but how crazy is this? A movement was started on a college campus under the banner of pirates. And I bring this up because I think it speaks to the fact that we as people all long to be a part of a community-based movement. And today we're going to see that we, the local church, are the God-given expression that God has given to us that is just that. We're a movement of people that are created, that are committed to one another under the name of Jesus. Yes, we can find common ground and interest with people in all sorts of ways, and I'm all for that. I think they're really helpful for us to think through how we can live on mission. But at the end of the day, the only community that will last forever are those that are founded under the banner of Jesus. 
Because when Jesus came to earth to live and die on the cross and be raised from the dead, he did that so that we could be united vertically with God, but then also horizontally with each other. New City, I will say this over and over and over again until I'm blue in the face. Okay, we as a church, we're not a building to go into. We're not a service to attend and critique. We're not an organization to join. We're not a program that tries to win you over with entertainment. And we're not here to give you a list of rules to do and not to do. No, we are a family of people united under the name of Jesus Christ. And we as a people are called by God to draw close to one another, to love and encourage one another, to bear one another's burdens, and to point each other back to Jesus over and over again when our eyes begin to drift away. Our community, we are united under Jesus, and because of that, we have something eternally special. This is the beauty of the local church. And by the end of our time today, my hope and prayer is that you would be challenged to commit yourself to a local church. No, it doesn't have to be New City Church. But yes, it does need to be a healthy local church that preaches the gospel and teaches the Bible and will walk alongside of you in discipleship and care. You know, one of the greatest challenges in the American church is just a lack of commitment to a local body of believers. Seeing church kind of like, uh, like speed dating, where we just pick and choose which service we'll attend based on how we feel that day. And, and the reason for this is because the understanding of church is often based on attending a service or a program or a preference that is just not, that, which is just not what the Bible teaches. And yes, I understand, I, I, I understand it takes time to figure out which church you want to commit to, and there's wisdom in this. But at the end of the day, the end goal needs to be committing to a body of believers so that we can truly live out the commands that we see in the Bible that are in relation to the local church. If we're each a building block of the church, like we're going to see today, just think, how, how can something be built on top of us if we're not committed? And so today, Paul, at the end of Ephesians chapter 2, we've been walking through this book, the end of Ephesians chapter 2, we're going we're to see how to think about us as a community of people. And so let's, let's, that's it. let's go ahead and read our passage, uh, and then we'll break it down, seeing more specifics about our community that is founded under the name of Jesus. Look at, starting at verse 17 of chapter 2. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off, and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So we've got six verses today, just our next six verses in Ephesians. We're going to walk back through them. We're going to see our one big idea, how, how Jesus unites us into a new community. And in that, we're going to see three points. Number one, Jesus brings peace to his community. Number two, Jesus builds unity to his community. And number three, Jesus uh, builds his community. And what we can't miss here is that Jesus is the key to all of this. We see in verse 20 that Jesus is the cornerstone of the church. He's the essential building block for all of it. If Jesus is the foundation of the church, if if it's not, if Jesus is not the foundation of the church, it will all come tumbling down. And I want you to notice that I very intentionally said his community in relation to the church because I wanted to make it very clear that this, uh, that New City is not my church. It's not the pastors and elders church. It's not those in leadership's church. No, we are a, f- a church family where every member is a vital part to the mission and ministry and well-being of the church. But we must understand it's Jesus's church. We're his church. 
The church is God's family. Jesus is the cornerstone, but we're the building blocks, and, and we'll get to that. But first, let's look back at verse 17, chapter 2. It says, And he came and preached peace to you who were far off, and peace to those who were near. Seeing very clearly our first point. Number one, Jesus brings peace to his community. New City, this is so good for us. You know, something that's very important to this verse are the verses that we looked at last week. You know, last week, Pastor Tanner, he uh, walked us through the distinctions between Jews and Gentiles, those that were circumcised and those that weren't. Jews were those that came from the line of Abraham and the Gentiles or just everybody else. And so if you're not an ethnic Jew, you're a Gentile. And so during Paul's day, at this time, Paul's the guy writing this letter, you know, there was a little bit of, hey, I'm better than you. They thought that because they were Jews. And the thought that a non-Jew, a Gentile, could be considered to be in God's family, it just seemed crazy and ridiculous, like blasphemous almost. And here is Paul saying, Jesus came preaching peace to those who were far off, meaning the Gentiles, and those who were near, meaning the Jews. And I want you to think about this for a second. Because this very idea that Jesus came for all people and not just us, like not, I mean, not just the religious, uh, moral, moral elite, not, not, just, not just, it came for all people. Like it shows us a picture of the heart of God that our culture today kind of struggles to understand. And so get this, three years ago, Christianity Today came out with an article stating that half of Americans think that doing more good than bad is how we get to heaven, which is not what the Bible teaches. I just came back from uh, a part of the world where 99.99% of the people there are taught in, the, in their religion that good deeds will potentially get them to heaven. Like maybe. They'll never really know. And as we know, this is not what the Bible teaches. Our eternity with God in heaven is not based on how good of a person we are. That's not it. But the sad part about it all is that we, what, this is what people think that the Bible teaches. And what we see in verse 17 is that Jesus came preaching peace for those who were far from God and those who are near to God. Because the reality is, religious ritual, religious uh, moralism is not what brings peace. Jesus came to say he brings peace. Jesus, he is the peace. The peace that Jesus came preaching was that he, Jesus, is the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one gets to God the Father except through him. And the way to God, the way into peace and eternal life is not through good works, it's not through religious moralism or ritual or ceremonial sacrifices. No, the way to peace and eternal life with God in heaven is through Jesus Christ. It comes through believing in Jesus and Jesus alone and nothing else. And this is what I want us to get from this. The gospel of Jesus Christ, the peace that Jesus offers, it's for everyone. It's for the moral and the immoral. It's for all those who have gone to church since the day they were born and for those maybe uh, just might be the first time you've ever heard the name of Jesus or ever just been inside of a church service. The peace that Jesus came preaching is a peace that says you're no longer guilty but innocent. It says you're no longer a sinner but a saint. It says you're no longer in bondage but through the blood of Jesus you've been set free. But the kicker is we must give our life to Jesus. We're washed clean of our sin by the blood of Jesus and only Jesus. Jesus' work of the cross, it was sufficient for past, present, and future sins. We, need to, we don't need to make sacrifices and religious offerings anymore to be made clean of our sin. No, the cross where Jesus was nailed to bled, up, up, and bled and died and then rose again, it was and it still is sufficient. We're deemed innocent and free because Jesus took our place at the cross where he died the death that we deserve to die. 
You know, Jesus is the one and the only one that takes us and gives us a new heart and a new life and a new fresh start. And then he says to us, I'm staying with you. I'll never leave you or forsake you. And I've given you power uh, to not just be clean of sin, but to be changed for the future. This is the gospel of peace that Jesus came to bring. And he came to bring it for all people, to those who are far off and to those who are near. That's what our verse tells us, which means no matter where you are, no matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, Jesus says to everyone who calls on his name, he says, I have peace for you today. I have joy for you today. I have everlasting life for you today. This is the Christian gospel. This is our good news. Peace is available to all those who call on the name of Jesus. And let me be very clear, this peace does not mean an easy life. Not at all. Jesus himself, the prince of peace, was murdered and hung on a cross to die. Jesus' followers were often tortured and persecuted. The peace Jesus gives is not external ease of life, but rather an inner heart peace. This says, everything around me may be crumbling, but Jesus is still my good shepherd. He's my helper, and he's with me in it. It's a peace that says, yes, Jesus died on the cross, but get what, guess what? He also rose from the dead. And because of that, we can have peace because he is alive with us today. And do you know what this peace can do for a community of people like us? It can, uh, it can totally transform us collectively as a new and united community of people. Because when life doesn't go the way we'd expect it to go or the way we want it to go, and yet still rejo- we can still rejoice and find joy and contentment because of Jesus and Jesus alone. So there's everyone around us that Jesus Christ is glorious and good and that nothing is better. It keeps us from striving for things, for striving after things that are meaningless and pointless and don't satisfy us. Again, no matter where you are today, whether you're near God or far from God, as we see in verse 17, there is a peace available to you, but that peace is found in Jesus, through Jesus, and by Jesus, and nothing else. So I'm begging you to call upon Jesus today. Cry out to him because he has peace to offer you. But we need to keep moving let's look at verse 18 and 19 our next two verses to get to our next point for through him we both have access in one spirit to the father so then you are no longer strangers and aliens but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God this also is really good because again no matter where you come from no matter how good or bad you've been no matter your background your heritage or your upbringing because of Jesus Christ and through Jesus all those who call on his name have access in one spirit to God that's what verse 18 says And this is incredible for all of us because it means we're all together united as one family in connection to God the Father. So all those who call Jesus Lord, we have equal access to God and this is so good for us. And let me tell you what this does not mean just from a personal example. I don't know what this says about me, um, but for some reason when I meet people outside of a church context, people don't typically think I'm a pastor. It never, it never fails. I meet someone, we talk like very normal people. I'm asking about their life, getting to know them, and about 10 minutes into the conversation, the question comes up, hey, what do you do for work? Well, I'm a pastor. And then it seems like 10 out of 10 times, they're like kind of going back through our conversation and kind of apologizing for whatever they just said. 
and kind of thinking that, that they, them saying these things to me somehow makes whatever they just said or whatever they've done worse, which is just not true. And I get it. There's like a, a cultural respect for people that want to give to pastors. And there's a level of maturity and expectations that pastors are called to uphold. I totally get that. But what I want to point out is that verse 18 shows us that all of us who are in Christ Jesus are all on the same level in God's eyes. There's no such thing as someone being a better Christian than someone else. The gospel totally rejects that. Because every person who calls on the name of Jesus is looked at by God through the resume and qualifications of Jesus. In New City, his resume is stellar. Pastors and elders and missionaries and ministry workers and also the brand new Christian, we all have the same access to God as everyone else. Again, if you are in Christ Jesus, you're a saint. There's no such thing as being a super saint or a lesser saint. No, we're all equally called saints. And it's not because of what we do or don't do. It's all because of what Jesus has done, which then leads us to our second point. Number two, Jesus brings unity to his community. We all see ourselves and equal in the eyes of God when the walls of hostility fall down like we talked about last week or removed from one another, hostilities removed from one another, uh, when Jesus is our common ground, the family of God becomes unified. Verse 18 just said, we have access in one spirit to the Father. We as a church, we're unified to God through Jesus and by the Spirit. Unity in the body of Christ, it is a work of the Spirit. When we bring people from all different backgrounds and upbringing and and cultures and interests, and those uh, people are united as one, this is a work of the Spirit. And listen to me, uh, this unity enters the church when Jesus is not at the center. There are hundreds of things we could list off that could cause disunity in the body of Christ. But as soon as Jesus gets removed from the center, disunity is just lurking at the door. And this is not to say we don't wrestle with hard topics and tough things where people may disagree. But those things come on the heels of the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. Because when we proclaim Jesus as Lord, we're unified in the same spirit, verse 18 tells us. Unity in the body of Christ is vastly important. It was the very last thing that Jesus said right before his death in John 17. That was what he taught his disciples, begging them to fight for unity. Listen to me, any sort of disunity in the body of Christ, it does not come from the Spirit of God. It comes directly from the enemy. And so we must be on guard and fight for unity. Because the gospel of Jesus Christ it is a reconciling, unifying gospel, not a disunifying gospel. Let's look at verse 19 to see the outworking of this. Paul says, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. So Paul just said back in verse 18, we all have access in one spirit. We're unified. The spirit of God holds us together. And then he just said in verse 19, so then, kind of connecting 18 to 19, He says, if we're unified by the Spirit, as we see in verse 18, then verse 19 shows us we're no longer strangers and aliens. Like there's a distinction, uh, there's no distinction between Jew and Gentiles. Like there's not an in crowd and an out crowd. We're all unified. We're all fellow citizens. We're members of the household of God. And so this is what this means for us, is that when someone comes to faith in Christ, they are now a part of our family because we're a family of faith that is continually welcoming in new people. We as the body of Christ should do whatever we can to see those on the fringes of faith and in our community and do whatever we can to welcome them in and draw them into a deeper new community, into our community. 
We're always saying to those who profess Jesus, you're one of us. We're in the same spirit. We're brothers and sisters of Christ. Come in, you're family. And not simply because we're trying to be nice, friendly people, but because this is what Jesus did for us. Jesus unified us to him by his spirit. Like we said, we were once strangers and aliens outside the family of God. But through the blood of Jesus at the cross, Jesus brought us into intimacy with God. You know, get this, an intimate community of faith is the outworking of an intimate connection with God. Like we draw people into our lives with intentionality and honest vulnerability displaying unity because Jesus brought us near to him. Jesus unified us to him. Now please listen. I'm very aware that our past relationships and past hurts and wounds can create a barrier to intimate connection with people. And we can put up walls around our hearts. And in some ways, healthy boundaries are good. We need those in our life, especially in romantic relationships outside of marriage. Like we have to use so much wisdom in this. While at the same time, those same walls and boundaries, if we keep them up too, uh, too tight and too high and we're too guarded, and we never let anyone into our life, they can keep us from the very thing that God calls us to step into. It can keep us from the one thing or from one, one, from one of the things we need most in our life. Like God created us to be in union with other people who profess Jesus. We're the family of God. We need each other. And just to add to the point, and one of the other things that Paul says to display a sense of unity in the church, Paul says we're fellow citizens, meaning we live in the same kingdom. We live uh, for the same cause. We all have the same passport. You know, I mentioned this earlier, but I just got back from Central Asia, and I had to have a visa to get into the country. I'm an American citizen, so I have a U.S. passport. And I didn't recognize this until several days before I left, but my passport picture from eight years ago looks nothing like me, like not at all. Like I had a a clean-shaven, buzzed hair, looked like a 17-year-old kid. Going into this country, I didn't get a double take. I got about seven takes from all the security people. But I got in. And on the way back, my passport got me back into the United States because I am a United States citizen. I have a passport that shows this. And so as Christians, no matter what country you live in, no matter where you're from or where you're born, if you are in Christ, we all hold the same passport. We all have a passport that says, I'm a citizen of God's kingdom. And it's not based on outside appearance, but it's all about, it's it's because we're united to Jesus. You know what Paul says about us displaying unity? He says we're fellow saints and members of the household of God. This is one of those places where we get the idea of church membership from. Church membership is a display of unity. When we say we belong, we're members, when we say we're members of New City Church, we're saying those we worship with, those we covenant with as family, we're saying we're united, uh, we're unified as one. And this is a special gift. Like, we cannot take this lightly. Church membership is not like joining a social club. No, it's a commitment to one another, showing unity. It's committing to lock arms with people in the good times and the bad times. It's saying, hey, I'm in this. We're in this together. We're in the trenches together. Attending our services, it's great. We, wanna, we want everyone to feel welcome while at the same time, we can't, that can't be where we stay. We want to see you go from connected to the crowd to committed to the family. We want, to see, uh, we want us to see uh, us committed to one another through a covenant commitment. And again, this is a gift for each, for each of us. It says we're in this, we're committed, we're for one another. And we can't be afraid of commitment. It's for our good and it's for our spiritual health. I mean, just think about this. 
when a committed brother or sister steps into our life, just into those broken pieces of our life, when we're down or maybe struggling, and they're listening to us and praying for us, and they're bearing our burdens with us and pointing us to Jesus, it says, I'm here, I'm committed to you. This is a gift that can't be replaced. That's a gift, that's hard to find. Again, when God's people are intimately connected and committed to Jesus, the result should be an intimate and committed connection with each other. Will it be perfect? No. But growing with a lot of grace? Yes. So let me ask, what does commitment to the family of God look like in your life? Who is it that you need to draw near to this week? Who around you can you point to Jesus? New City, we're a family, so may we draw together as one. If you've been coming around here for a while and New City doesn't seem like a family for you yet, there's three really simple steps that you could take. Number one, maybe you just need to join a city group. This is where this is best lived out. Groups are where intimacy and connection is best created. Or maybe number two, joining a serve team. You know, I've always thought that joining a serve team is more for us than it is for others. There are a lot of reasons why serve teams are great for us, but one of them is that it helps foster community. It's an easy way to lock arms with people. Or number three, just consider church membership. Consider taking a step of commitment to the local body of believers here just in the Tampa area. Becoming, uh, become a member of the household of God, as our text says. Again, simply attending our church doesn't make you a member. There's a class and a few steps we want to see you take uh, to make sure we're truly unified as one. And so, so, so far today, we've seen, number one, uh, Jesus brings peace to a community. Number two, Jesus brings unity to a community. And then lastly, number three, Jesus builds his community. So we'll see in the next few verses, Paul's using a, a building metaphor for his people. And we think of the people of God, the church, as a building or a temple, as we'll see today. Uh, we'll see the importance of every single person in the community. The church, the committed community of people that God has given us is something that we together build. And so if you call New City Church your church, then you are part of building this community. Every single person is responsible for being a community builder. It doesn't matter if you're an introvert or an extrovert. It doesn't matter if relationships come easy or if they're challenging. If we are a part of the family of God, we're all responsible for building our community. But we need to ask, what are we building it on? What's the foundation? Well, look, starting in verse 20, Paul says, We're built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So uh, Jesus is the foundation of our community. He's the cornerstone. If you take him out, it all falls apart. But we also see that our community was laid by the apostles and prophets. That's what it says. And what did, the, what did they pass down to us? Well, they gave us the scriptures, the Bible. If you remember, the apostles and the prophets were the mouthpiece for God, that we get the Bible from them. And so how do we build community with Jesus at the center? Well, we look to the word of God. We make the Word of God a central part to everything we do. And all the reason, we spend about 40 minutes every Sunday preaching and teaching the Word and seeking to just expose the Word and not sprinkle the Word into an engaging talk, but rather teach it and really swim in it and feast on it is because the Word of God is essential to building a healthy community. Well, when you're looking for a healthy church, look and pay attention to how uh, we engage the Bible. Inspect the foundation. 
Is the foundation the personality of a, a speaker, or is it the Word of God? If, if one of my friends could start a movement on the foundation of pirates and his charismatic personality that dwindled away the next year when he just got tired of it, this should at least cause us to ask and inspect the foundation of, of a movement of the local church. And I'm not saying we throw away the personality of the preacher. No, not at all. That's part of preaching. But is the Bible driving what is taught? Is Jesus exalted every week? Or is the person speaking use the, using the Bible to try to validate what they're saying? There's a big difference. Again, our text shows us that Jesus is the cornerstone of the church, but the Word of God is the foundation for the church. And just as a separate practical note, do you want to know one of the best ways to build community that is founded on Jesus even when you're not a people person? Simply put, just get into the Word with people. Invite people to read and study and pray the Word and, let, and inspect your hearts and let God deepen your relationships through it. And if you need help with that, that's what our city groups do. Again, we just do this throughout the week. We get into the Word together. And so what does Jesus build his community on? It's himself and the Word of God. Well, let's look again at verse 20 and 21, but we're going to really focus in on 21. Again, just kind of continuing. It says, build on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. So if Jesus and the Word are the foundation for Jesus' community, what goes on top of that? Well, we see in verse 21 that Jesus is building his community into a holy temple. And notice Paul said this temple is being joined to get, uh, to, together. Meaning we're not finished yet. We're a work in progress. God is making us as a community into a holy temple, but he's working to join us together. I don't know if you've ever been to a construction site, um, but they're a bit messy at times. You know, hard hats uh, required, safety vests, steel-toed boots. Uh, like I think all, it's just kind of messy and dangerous at times. But I think it reminds us that when you mend something together, it's a process, and it's, it's going to take uh, work. It's not always going to be easy. Relationships take work. God working in us, it's a process. It takes time. But yet the finished product that we grow into is a holy temple. We, the church, are being built into God's holy temple. We're the place for God to dwell and to stay. So God's mending us together as people so that he can finally and fully and completely dwell within us. Like he's already in us, but we are an unfinished temple. That there's more people to add to his family, more stones to add to his temple. Again, if God is, uh, using, God is using each of us to build his temple, that means we all play a, pot, a vital part. And being committed to one another, it's, it's so important. I mean, just imagine trying to build a brick house. And then you lay down several bricks on top of other bricks. Uh, and those bricks, those top bricks, are counting on those bottom bricks to be committed to that spot. It's like, hey, brick, are you going to hold me up? Okay? I mean, can you, can you imagine if they were like, uh, maybe, we'll see how I feel. We'll kind of see how I'm vibing tomorrow. I may want to go find another house with a better view. You know, I don't think those top bricks are going to want to be placed on top of those uncommitted bricks. And if those bricks aren't committed to their spot, you can't build the house. Again, this is the image Paul is giving us. Jesus is the cornerstone. The word of God is the foundation. But we, the people, are called to rely on one another and together build the house of God, which we call the church, the community of people. And then check this out. In verse 22, our last verse, Paul says, In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. And so Paul in verse 22, he's, he's reiterating himself of what he just said. 
He was talking about the entire structure before, but here in verse 22, he wanted to make sure that those Gentiles, those on the outside of the, of the faith, they also are now a part of this. That this is not just a Jewish thing, but this is an all-people thing. This is not just for the super-religious, but for everyone who calls on the name of Jesus. Paul is going into extra links to make sure we know as a community of people that our collective gospel identity is a spirit-filled holy temple. Our collective identity, new city, it's not based on production quality or the building we meet in or the size of our church or the programs we have or don't have. No, our collective gospel identity is a spirit-filled holy temple where God lives and dwells. Y'all, we have been praying from day one that our church would be a people where revival just happens in our hearts week after week after week. Where week after week, the Spirit of God who lives in us and among us would just cut us to the heart and just revive weary souls. That Jesus would be so sweet and come so alive in our hearts that when we leave our gatherings, the people around us, we just can't help but be in awe of God. And this is not something that we can just manufacture. This is not something we can do in our own power, but only by the power of the Spirit. We preach and teach the Word, we exalt Jesus, and the Spirit does its work. And the reason we can have so much confidence knowing that this will happen is because this is our absolute gospel identity. God is in this place. We are his holy temple. He lives here. He dwells here. He has taken up residence in our collective hearts. And because of that, the Spirit of God unifies us and empowers us and brings peace into our hearts and builds our community. New City, the Spirit of God is building and will continue to build our church. Through the blood of bloodshed of Jesus, God will break down walls. He will destroy hostility and he will unify us as a people. And you know what? The enemy, you know what? The enemy of God hates it. He despises it. And the enemy, our enemy, will do whatever he can to stop it and discourage us and to draw us away from one another. But when we claim Jesus as our cornerstone, when we declare over us as a people that we are a holy temple built on the foundation of Jesus and his word, the enemy can try to throw darts at us and do his best to beat us down. But guess what? New City, it it won't work. When the spirit of God moves in power, the enemy can't stop it. Marriages and relationships get restored. Anxiety and worry fall away. Strongholds are broken. The battle of sin is fought with fervor. And the name of Jesus is made known around us and around the world. We are a holy temple built up by the Spirit of God. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. You know what? Knowing this as a community of people, as we end our time, we can go into our night of prayer next Sunday night and call upon the living God with power and fervor to move among us and to save and to restore and just to see a move of God. When we gather to pray and beg God, it unites us as a people. It draws us close to the Lord and to one another. Our text today tells us in verse 18 that we have access in one spirit to God the Father. I mean, what a privilege. What a power. Like we as a collective church have. And we want to exercise that and use that. Because when we gather to pray, we can be confident that God will move. Like we're his children. We're his holy temple. We're part of his household. 
God loves to hear our crazy, bold, audacious prayers. It is an active worship to the Lord. We don't know how he'll move and what it will look like, but when we cry out to God as a collective, unified people, as his holy temple and as his children, his household, and when we beg God to save people and for people to respond to the gospel and be baptized, we can have a lot of confidence that God is going to move. You know, when my kids ask me to do things that I love to, what I already love to do, (laughs) I mean, what a joy it is just to do it. And I can't help but think, God wants to see people come to Jesus and worship Him. You know, Easter is coming up in about a month. And there are very few times in the year when most people you invite to a church service, if you have a personal relationship with them, will actually come. And Easter is one of those days. And just so as a collective people, all of us, we want to do whatever we can just to capitalize on this and leverage this and get people in this room to hear the gospel, to hear the gospel of peace like we talked about today with the hopes of just responding in faith to add to the household of God. Part of being a unified church, New City, is just being a part of a unified mission. And so please just be praying about who you're going to invite to hear about the gospel of peace. I mean, just write their name down. Pray over it. I mean, we've been asking week after week, who is the one person you're praying to come to Jesus? Just one. Maybe it's not one, maybe it's ten. But just do whatever you can to get them in the room. Just start praying now for them. I mean, listen, if you're a college student, I want to challenge you just to stay here and invite your family here. Invite your, your friends to come here. We're praying for the Spirit of God to pour out His favor on our church this Easter. And you know why we can pray with so much confidence? Because His Spirit is alive. Jesus is alive. His Spirit is inside of us. And we're His holy temple. And He wants to build His temple. He wants to see people find the peace of Jesus. And if you're here today you've never responded in faith, I want to challenge you to tell someone today to go public with your faith today. Y'all, we're praying for baptisms this Easter. If you've recently responded in faith or if you've never been baptized, talk to us. We wanna uh, wanna help you take that step. You know, baptisms are a celebration of new life. It's like new stones being added. It's something we can celebrate. We wanna celebrate with you. And also, if, if you're here today and you wanna take the next step of commitment to New City, maybe becoming a member, I want to encourage you to stay after for, uh, after for starting point right back here. It'll take about 20 minutes just to hear more about, like, what are your next steps? And for everyone today, I pray and I hope that today we would all just rest in Jesus, knowing that he came to bring peace. Jesus has peace for you and also for our community. And what a joy it is as a community just to direct each other's eyes to Jesus Christ, the cornerstone of our faith. What good news. Jesus is our strong tower. He's our cornerstone. Let's pray. God, you're so good to us. You're so kind to us. You've you've given us the local church. You've given us a community of people to love and to care and to encourage one another, to build each other up in Christ, to see each other mature in godliness, to grow in our relationship with the Lord. God, we pray that we would be a people that disciple one another and encourage one another, that we would just be committed to bear one another's burdens with each other. God, Jesus 
is so, so good. God, you've given us peace through the cross. We pray that we would celebrate that today. We ask this all in Jesus' name, amen.